Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to this next episode of The Ask. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Today's a very uh, special episode. It's actually a recording of a community healing night that we did at our church recently where we addressed the topic of anxiety and fear. And uh, so in this uh, podcast, you will hear an interview done by Kim Hendricks, our director of outreach ministries, uh, interviewing Brandy McNew, who's a counselor here in the Montgomery area. You'll also hear uh, a sermon by myself uh, after that as well. And again, we just uh, a lot of people in our community struggle with anxiety and fear. And uh, so this is something our church wanted to do for our city. And uh, we hope that the Lord uses it to bless you in your life as well. So y'all check this out. started and Brandy thank you so much for taking part thank you wouldn't you say when we talk about anxiety and fear that the majority of us and I'm not just talking about those of us in the room tonight but the majority of people uh, truly knows a level of fear and anxiety Absolutely. I think all of us experience, like you said, some level of stress or anxiety, even if it's just getting out of the door on time to get to work or to drop the kids off at school, or maybe you're caring for a loved one who's sick. Um, there's a multitude of things that can add to just day-to-day stress. Um, but I do think it's important to note that there's different levels. Um, stress is a very human, normal response, um, and, and that is part of what helps motivate us or take care of things. And so stress is a part of living, but there are different levels to, um, to keep in mind. And then we're going to go into a little bit of that. I think. Right. As we think about the different levels. So when do we know that perhaps what we're experiencing with anxiety or fear that it has reached a level, a breaking point, so to speak, where we need to reach out and get some help? Um, before I go into some of the descriptions of, of what may be those um, middle to upper levels of anxiety, I, I want to point out that each of us in here are very different as people. And so what may look like anxiety for one person might look a little different for someone else. And so we'll talk about these things tonight, but know that there is a lot of variation just like there are variations in us. Um, but one of the first things that I usually remind people or will ask about, I'll be very curious about, is um, is what is happening to them happening to them physically. So are you struggling with a lot of headaches, uh, body aches, muscle tension? Um, are you not sleeping well? Have no appetite or the other extreme? Are you eating a lot? Um, another extreme, either sleeping very little or sleeping too much. But our body is usually the first to sort of give us those warning signs that something is is, is going on. So physically, we need to really check yes. that out. And uh, I don't know about you, I'm a stress eater, mm-hmm. but regular stress. You know, if I have a big project at work, I'm going to find myself snacking and thinking, can I do this? But we're talking about extreme levels now. So yes. physically thinking about that. And also, what about in our relationships? What would we be seeing if we're experiencing anxiety and fear at a level where we need some help? Um Relationally, it's it's a little bit in the same. I want to also point out with with the physical. If you suffer with a a chronic illness or something that that you do have going on, um, that might be a little bit different. Again, there's that variation. But what I would like to point out is is those physical symptoms are not the norm. 
So if you um, don't usually feel achy and fatigued, that's not normal behavior for you. That That is something worth paying attention to. Um, but like you said, relationships are another thing that are a big indicator that maybe our anxiety level or our stress level is getting a bit um, out of hand is, is maybe there's a lot of conflict. That could be conflict in your marriage. That could be conflict with your children. That could be conflict with friends or other family members or coworkers. Um, so that's one indicator. The other is withdrawal. Maybe you just don't have any desire to engage, even in situations where you normally would. Like you might like to go out um, with the guys or the girls, and you're just not motivated to really engage with anybody. So you see those relationships um there starts to be a disconnect because you're so overwhelmed by the stress that you're feeling. And you can probably say, I'm probably the common denominator in the fact that all my relationships seem to be in an unhealthy place and another indicator. Yes. If, if the relationships that you're having are kind of withering, then then there may be a common element. Um, but there also uh, can be people that are contributing to that stress yes. level. Um, so it can be either or in that mm-hmm. situation. At work. Okay. You have tasks to do, but mm-hmm. also at home, you have jobs that normally you're all about mm-hmm. and suddenly you don't have the energy or you don't have the focus. Right. So we've got the physical, we've got the relationship, and then we have the, the area that we talked about, which is the tasks. So what are the normal things that you would do in a day? Um, whatever it is on your, at your job or your workplace, or perhaps your work is at home with the children. Um, are you having a hard time focusing? You know you're capable of it, but it, you just can't quite hone in on the things that you need to do. So things are, are getting undone or perhaps the quality of what you would normally do is really deteriorating um, or maybe just no motivation to do anything. So you see that change in your ability to accomplish the task, again, that you would normally tackle. If I said, let's go clean out the garage, you might go, oh, that's not, that's not a normal everyday thing. We want to look at what do you do in a typical day and is that being affected by how you feel or the level of stress that you're experiencing? And we really want folks to take away practical ideas here. And that's why we're so thankful you could take part, Brandy. But um, your spiritual life is a big part of this. And you've even told me there are signs to watch for right there. Share that with us. Yes. Um, spiritually, if you start to feel almost like a void, perhaps you feel like, you know, God has abandoned me or he really doesn't care about what's going on with me. And so that relationship that you've, you've had with God, or maybe the the relationship that you're working on just feels like it's falling flat. Um, the other piece of that, that I see a lot of times is, is shame. People are, are afraid to even pray to God about what they're feeling or what they're experiencing. And I think Brandon's going to go into a little bit of that, but there's just this, you know, I'm ashamed to even go to God with this. I should be able to handle this or I should know better. There's a lot of should thinking that's going on, um, during that time frame. Right. So let's talk about, uh, some of the ways that we think that we're handling our fear, our anxiety, the stress in our life that we think, I've got this. This is what I do every day. This helps me cope. But there are actually ways that could be taking us down a dangerous road. So our, our natural tendency is to, to try to come up with a solution. Um, but there are times where those solutions may not be healthy. So what might start as I'm going to come home at night and, and unwind with, unwind with a glass of wine turns into 
a glass or two or three or four, and then it, it develops into something um, that could lead to an addiction. So whether that's alcohol, whether that's zoning out in front of the TV for four hours to distract yourself again, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with a glass of wine or watching TV, but it's it's where we see ourselves really trying to distract from pain or from stress or from feelings of overwhelmed, being overwhelmed. So um, it could be pornography. It could be um, shopping to excess. So those are things that in the moment may feel rewarding and it distracts us, but in the long run are not going to help address what we're what we're struggling with when really we think that we're finding ways to handle this when we need to be reaching out uh, to a counselor and I want to say counselor is a good word I think we could all use a counselor every day I told someone someone could walk beside me all day long we have a lot that goes on in our lives so how do we go about finding a counselor that is is good for us and where we are Uh, well I think You've got to keep in mind, first of all, what is it that you're hoping to experience through going to counseling? For some people, they want a listening ear, someone to process information with, um, someone to validate the the pain or the hurt or the stress that they're feeling. Um, there's other people that want to be very proactive. Um, uh, oftentimes when I would work with people who are struggling with anxiety, they want a plan. They want a plan on how do I get out of this? Um, so some people want that, that practical um, step-by-step approach. So first of all, think about what are you hoping to experience um, from counseling and to understand really that counseling is a process. It's not a go in for three to four sessions and then I've got this handled. Um, There are circumstances where that could happen, but that's not the majority of time, especially if you're dealing with long-term anxiety. Now, where the difference would be, let's say you're experiencing something in your life where there is a lot of stress, perhaps... um, an ill family member or a child transitioning to a new school or away from home or a job change. Those are situational and counseling can still be very helpful, but it may be brief. So you pop in, you meet with the counselor, you come up with some ways to address that, but that's more of a a short-term thing. Um, With general anxiety disorder, you typically, you need that coach along the way and it's going to be a process. Um, But also keep in mind, what are your values? What are your um, principles that you want to live by? So for those of us who have a strong faith, you know, having somebody that is going to honor that and work with you um, in in your faith and your belief system. And then uh, one of the things you and I talked about is is some people are very hesitant, and I get it, to go to a counselor um, for a number of reasons. Uh, And if you go to a counselor and think, oh, this will be a great person for me, but it it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel like a good fit. Um, not to give up. I, I like to use the analogy of shoes. You know, if you need a new pair of shoes and and you walk into the store and you try one pair on, and you go, oh, these are horrible. This is not a good fit. I'm really not comfortable. You don't give up on shoes. You don't, you don't go barefoot for the rest right, of Right, right. You don't say I'm done with that. You keep trying. And so counseling is a little bit like that because you're building a relationship with somebody. You're being vulnerable with them and you're hoping that you have a good connection. So if you don't get that first, you know, fit. It may take one or two sessions before you feel comfortable, and that's absolutely normal. But if it's not a a good fit, that doesn't mean counseling won't be helpful for you or won't um, do something beneficial. So don't give up if that first one is not the best fit for you. Okay. I want to talk to you about medication a little bit. Um, I'll also share just personally, um, I had a panic attack, a couple of them in my mid-20s, and 
when I look back at that now, you know, I was working in the news business and um, I had a lot going on around me. People were fired all around me. They fired the entire team, about three people uh, who were on the set with me all in one day. And I felt bad for them, my friends, but I thought I was handling it okay. But obviously I was internalizing it because a few days later I'm out doing an interview just like this. And I began to feel my heart pounding and honestly had not had one. And I thought, well, I'm going to die right here. I'm having a heart attack, but I don't want to bother anybody with this. So I'll just stay quiet. And I stopped listening, of course. I think I was probably just staring at the person I was interviewing. Then it finally stopped and probably had another one a few days later. So I did go to the doctor. Wear the heart monitor. Some of you have probably done this, and they tell me it's probably anxiety. Your heart's okay. And I needed to hear that, uh, to hear your heart's okay was calming. And that way, when I felt it sort of coming on again, I could almost calm myself. And that was sort of a situational thing, like you said. It happened right then. But I bring it up, too, to say at that time, uh, you know, when the doctor said, are you drinking too much caffeine? Yes. Are you getting enough sleep? No. Uh, and was I taking the time to nurture my relationship with Christ right then? No, I was not. And I can see all those factors came together at a difficult time for me. And I bring it up as well to say, he said, now some people go on medication and they may stay on it for the rest of their lives. Some people never need it. And I said, okay. And I was able to move forward and think this through. And I think it was more situational and didn't do that. But I want to ask you, because we, we all look for that quick fix and give me the magic pill. Um, what are your thoughts on this? And I know medication has really improved over the years. Um, so is there such a thing as a quick fix? And where does medication come in our effort to find relief and help? That's a great question because it is something that a lot of times people do come in um, wondering, is this what's going to resolve this anxiety? And um, oftentimes when it comes to treating anxiety or depression or, or anything in, in that realm, it's years usually in the making and it's a number there's a number of things that contribute to those feelings and so um rather than it being a here's three steps or here's one type of medication it's it's a wholeness approach so that's looking just like at the areas we talked about how do you take care of your body how are you taking care of your relationships and so you're looking at all of those things all the while considering medication may be a helpful piece of the puzzle it's not the only part of it. It's a piece of it. So you've got medication. And that's also when you're, when you're looking for a counselor, if you're on the lookout for a counselor, um, we have some, some great physicians in the area that will partner with your counselor. You know, they handle the, the medical side of it and they make sure that they're, they're prescribing the appropriate medication. And so if you find a, a doctor that is willing to partner with that counselor and the counselor is willing to partner, I think that really works very well um, if you need that medication. And so it's a combination. You, you need counseling, medication, support of friends and family, um, of your church family. Uh, so it's, it's an, a combination approach in addressing those things. Have you had people come to you who say, I feel guilty, I feel ashamed, uh, I don't think I'm supposed to take this medication. Um, I don't think that I'm supposed to even worry uh, because I'm a Christian. Do you find that in your practice? Absolutely. Um, so from the, the Christian perspective, I think there are people that um, 
have been really wounded by the belief that if I were a strong enough Christian or if I prayed more or if I believed more that I wouldn't experience this. Now, that's not to say that a, a relationship with the Lord is not um, paramount. It's, it's very important, but um, Scripture continually shows us that that we experience heartbreak. We experience pain. We do experience fear and anxiety. So that's the thing that I think is really important to distinguish is that even if you experience fear or an anxiety as a Christian, that's, that's not a bad thing. That's not, so I don't want anybody to hear the message and think, oh, well, we're just going to tell you how to stop that. That's not the goal of, for me, when I work with people, I want them to say, okay, here's this anxiety or here's this fear. What do I do with it? Like, how do I address it? Or how do I look at it with compassion and curiosity? So that's something that you'll hear me say a lot is, okay, let's look at this with some compassion and curiosity so that we can move forward. Because if our goal is to never experience fear and anxiety, we're going to get exhausted and it's not going to lead to um, to a solution. So we got to put that aside and say, you know, I, it's, it's not going to help me to feel and stay in this place of shame. I can embrace that I'm going to be worried in life. I can embrace that there's going to be things that that create a feeling of dis-ease, and that's okay. Where do I go from here? And so shame is a big hurdle that a lot of times we do have to overcome. And that shame could come from um, some maybe some erroneous beliefs about you know being a Christian. It could come from our family of origin. It could come from some other people that maybe were an unhealthy influence for us. So it's it can be complicated, but it, it it's important to recognize. And Brandon will take us deeper into the Word in just a minute too to see what it in fact says about fear and anxiety. But let's talk about the importance of talking. You know, talk about this. What is going on with you? Don't push it down, and that's. That's why I brought up, don't be ashamed and think, golly, I'm the only one that can't handle this right now. And, and one way to talk, we want to show you a number on the screen. This is a crisis text line. You see these little um, red pieces of paper on the table. Please take one of these. We have extra in the back. But this is a simple text to 741-741. You write hello, and trained counselors are ready to talk to you about anything. If it's being bullied, if it's an eating disorder, if it's fear, if it's anxiety, this is a place to start. And also, we talk about here at Frazier all the time the importance of being in a small group. Uh, Be in a small group, have a mentor, have a close friend who you can really share, not the surface friends. Say, hey, how are you? I'm fine, good, you know, and you've already had a fight in the car and you can't get the kids dressed and things aren't fine, but we don't tell that to just everybody I know. But but also know this, uh, just a small group and a mentor may not be enough either, and we want them to realize that. That's when you also need to bring in the holistic approach. Counselor, look at your health. And, and yes, I've told people before, God created man and woman and gave us the knowledge to create the medication so when it is needed in the holistic approach, don't be ashamed of that. Yes, unfortunately, we're really great as a culture in in broadcasting um, our successes and, and through social media, we want to highlight the positive things. Uh, and I think that's important as well, but it, it creates... Um, uh, some difficulty because we're very apt to show what's good, but then when we hit a bump in life or a hiccup, it we retreat. 
because we're like, but I just posted that life is great on Facebook and now it's really not great. And so we pull back. And so rather than do that, um, you know, social media is probably not the place to, to reach out for, for, certain circumstances. And that's where going to accounts or going to, um, somebody who's a trusted. And I like to also say healthy, um, emotionally healthy person. Uh, there are times where, uh, we can be drawn to someone who's experiencing the same thing. And that is great from the support end, but may not be the best fit to move forward, to get you out of that stuck place. So when you're seeking out that you want to keep those things in mind. What can we as parents do when we see this, we see anxiety and fear in our children and uh, we can feel a little helpless or we may say the wrong thing thinking we're being helpful, but just talk to parents for a moment about what we can do when we see this in our children, particularly, I know we see a lot of it in middle school and in high school. Listening is, if I could sum it up in one word, um, is, is, is to listen the other end of that, as a parent, is that sometimes our, our children will say things that are difficult to listen to, um, that are hard to hear. Maybe they, they crush our heart or maybe they infuriate us. You, you can kind of run in any direction with that. But if you've got a child or a teenager or even a young adult child who is struggling and they're sharing what their struggle is or what their challenge is, be able to hear them without Oftentimes we, we start to try to make recommendations a little bit too soon. Try to fix everything. Right. And so just listen and let them express what's going on. And, and also understand that that's their reality. It doesn't have to make sense to you in order for you to offer compassion and a listening ear. So what your teenager is saying, you might be thinking, Oh my goodness, this is so much drama. Are we really, you know, fretting over this? But the truth is, is that's their reality. That is what is weighing them down. And so listen, um, if it's a young adult child, rather than offering a list of things that they need to do, say, hey, I can tell you're hurting. I can tell that must be overwhelming because here's the situation is, is most teenagers to young adults, you've had years to pour into them and to show them this is what we feel like is best and this is the guidance that we give you. By the time they're getting to that 16 and on up, they know at their core, they know what it is that you've taught them. So let them work through that. Now, if they ask, of course, you don't sit on your hands and go, oh, I'm just supposed to listen. If they come to you and they ask a question, then be willing to engage. Um, keep your own emotions in check and then engage in that dialogue with them. Um, but oftentimes we need to listen more. It can be so hard, you know, with our children wanting to try to quickly make things okay for them, but letting them work through it. I know that's such key. fear that they're going to make a mistake. You know, right. if they're at sort of a crossroads that we feel like mm-hmm. we must tell them which direction to choose because mm-hmm. they could fail or they could get hurt. Um, and, and that's part of, of growing for yeah, them. We all learn through our failures, mm-hmm. right? Talk for a moment to the students, uh, to the young person who has had that moment where they feel like their whole world is crashing in, what do you say to them? Again, um, I would say keep in mind that what stresses you out or what overwhelms you or creates anxiety may not be the same for for everybody else. Um, But don't isolate yourself. Don't 
feel like that you've got to keep everything together and have this nice package to present or this great shot to, to put on Instagram or, or to snap to somebody. You, you've got to reach out, but reach out beyond your peer group. Friends are wonderful, and I think we need that support, encouragement from our friends. But if you are truly struggling and you feel like, hey, I am just stuck in this place of, of feeling overwhelmed, or maybe they're having panic attacks. There's lots of teenagers that I would sit with, and they'd tell me what they were feeling. And they were feeling this for a really, really long time, but suffering all on their own. So don't suffer alone. Reach out to somebody that you can trust. I like to encourage people, so whether this is a teenager or even uh, an adult, is seek out somebody who may be a little bit further on the path than you and and have experienced that. So whether it's a teacher or a coach, um, a Sunday school teacher, a small group leader, um, if it can be your parents, that's absolutely wonderful. If it makes it more difficult for you to process and work through it, then you know, talk to your parents, say, hey, I'd really like to talk to somebody. So whether it's that that trusted teacher or coach, or could you help me find a counselor? Um, I think most parents, I know as a parent, if my child came to me and said, hey, I want to talk to somebody, I would like to talk to a counselor, um, you know, I'm going to start, well, I'll just call, but, <laughs> you know, I'll start dialing numbers and saying, okay, let's get you connected to somebody. So if they're brave and they're bold enough, don't hesitate, don't wait and go, well, let's see if this works itself out because they've already really agonized about coming to you and saying, hey, can can I see somebody? So um, be willing to help them get connected to those resources um, if, if they need them. And I love, Brandy, you've shared with me before, you probably forgot this, but sometimes when a young person is that brave, and, and I really admire that too, to say, I do need to talk to someone. And as a parent, you find a counselor for them. It's a good life lesson for this young person as they go through life when things get hard again. Hey, I could go to a counselor and that could help me. And it becomes a normal thing and not something that you hide or that you're ashamed of because we all need it. And, and like we said, many times you talk to your small group, you talk to a mentor, but many of us are not equipped uh, professionally to take someone from a very difficult place and get them to where they need to be. So thank you for sharing that and for sharing with us tonight. And we will talk, of course, again next Wednesday, and we'll hit depression and suicide. Um, but we so appreciate that. I want you to know as we are preparing for tonight, I, I read a quote that I just want to share with you, and that is, let your hopes, not your hurts, shape your future. Let your hopes not your hurts. And that tells me don't be overwhelmed uh, with the difficulties of life. If you're going to be overwhelmed by anything, be overwhelmed by the goodness of God. And uh, Brandon Dassinger is going to come up here now and share with us all about what you find in the Word, because that is the greatest counselor of all. But join me in thanking Brandy McNew for being a part of this. Thank you, Brandy. Well, I'm uh, so thankful for Brandy and Kim and for sharing, and uh, everything I'll, I'll say from this point forward is in conjunction with what they've just said, is, you know, those main things of making sure you speak to someone, make sure that you seek out counseling when you need it, uh, all of those things are, are a part of the healing process. And one of the things that we see in scriptures is that anxiety and fear is actually all throughout the Bible. In fact, the phrase, fear not, is used around 365 times in the scriptures. 
And so over and over again, we see the people of God facing fear and anxiety as they face different obstacles in life. And so again, how Kim mentioned earlier, uh, the purpose of these events is kind of twofold. Number one is to normalize this discussion and to normalize these experiences to help people understand that you're not alone in the things that you face in terms of fear and anxiety, that this is a reality for many people in our culture today, and it was a reality for many people in the scriptures as well. And so we want people to understand that you're not alone in this. And I just almost want to apologize on behalf of the church for any time that the church kind of stigmatized mental illness or any sort of uh, issue in any way, because because it's never helpful to do that or to think that, hey, if you're a faithful Christian or a faithful follower of God, then you won't struggle with these issues. It's just not the case. Um, but at the same time, as we normalize it, we also want you to see that there's hope, uh, that your fear and anxiety doesn't have to be your slave. It doesn't have to rule your life. It doesn't have to dictate your identity. It doesn't have to determine the way you live. That there is hope that you can step out of that. That even though you may struggle with it for the rest of your life, it may be something that's constantly there. It doesn't have to be something that rules you, that defines you, that forces you to live a certain way, that, that you can get on top of it, that you can get through to a breakthrough. And so one of the things I want us to see over and over again is that this is so important because we're doing this series uh, through January called Fully Alive is that if we're not careful, uh, fear and anxiety can take over and it can keep us from living the lives that God would want us to live, the life that he came to bring us through Christ. It can hold us back. If we're not careful, fear and anxiety can rob us of our confidence. It can steal your confidence away. Uh, I've seen this over and over again where it traps you into doing nothing And the more you do nothing, the more you fear, the more you kind of sit back, the more you don't use the spiritual gifts that God has given you. And if you keep doing that repeatedly, if you kind of stay in the stuck position, you start to think to yourself, well, I can't do anything, or I can never do that, or I can never be like them. And over time, it can just rob you of your God-given confidence. Uh, It can also lead you to disobey God's word. Again, if we get to this level where fear and anxiety is kind of running our lives, it can lead to some bad habits that Brandy mentioned earlier, because you're going to have to cope with it one way or the other. And so really it starts to get in trouble where fear and anxiety leads us to habits that are not life-giving, where all of a sudden you're dealing with your anxiety and fear by eating too much or by drinking too much alcohol, or by popping pills, or by going on shopping binges. Whenever you find yourself going down that track, it's leading you to bad habits. And that's really the concern here, is where fear and anxiety starts to wrap up your life in such a way that it leads to these unhealthy habits. Because then you're not only dealing with fear and anxiety, you're starting to have to deal with the consequences of a habit that is destroying your life or destroying your relationships. Also, if we're not careful, ultimately fear and anxiety can hinder us from taking steps of faith. One of the things we see in the scriptures is that you can't simultaneously live by fear and live by faith. And so one of the things that it can do if we're not careful, again, if it starts to dominate our lives, is that it can keep us from following God's calling. It can keep us from taking those steps of faith. It can keep us from fulfilling God-given dreams. It can hold you back. A classic example of this is the Israelites who are freed from Egyptian slavery, who are brought through the wilderness and they're brought to the brink of the promised land. This is a land that God has promised to give them. But as they spy out the land, they see that it is filled with some really big, bad armies. And so as the people see this, they decide to turn back. 
They refused to go into the promised land. And as a consequence, uh, that generation of Israelites would wander around in the wilderness for 40 years. And as a result, all of them, but two, Joshua and Caleb, would not get to experience the promised land, not because God wouldn't give it, but because they refused to receive it. Their fear and anxiety caused them to forfeit the blessings of God. And again, sometimes that can happen with us. Again, this isn't a question of God's love. God loves you no matter what. But sometimes we miss out on the blessings that God would like to give, not because he won't give them, but because we refuse to receive them, because we stay stuck due to our fear and anxiety. So I want us to kind of camp out this evening on Joshua chapter 1. And this is one of my favorite chapters. And in here, I see, uh, I think we get three pathways uh, toward overcoming fear and anxiety. And I want to kind of hone in on that word pathway. Okay, this is not a formula. I'm not giving you three easy steps to conquering anxiety in five days. Okay, this is not it. I'm not selling a book. Okay, this is nothing like that. These are pathways. This is a journey. These are actions, uh, a trajectory that we go on that can allow us to overcome fear and anxiety so that it doesn't rule over us. So the first thing that we see here in Joshua chapter one is that the first pathway is to trust God's promises. Now the context here is that Joshua is taking over leadership for Moses. Moses had been leading the Israelites for 80 years. He was the dude that God partnered with in giving the 10 plagues and the splitting of the Red Sea and the deliverance of Egyptian slavery. He's the guy who brought down the 10 commandments and gave the law to the Israelites. He's the one that led them through the wilderness. 80 years he had been their leader. And the Bible describes him as a friend of God. And the Bible describes him as the most humble person on the entire earth. Imagine that you have to take over for the most humble person on the entire earth. Talk about big shoes to fill. Not only that, but Joshua's got to lead the Israelites into the promised land. And the promised land is filled with 31 different kings and 31 different armies. So you can imagine that Joshua was experiencing some fear and some anxiety. And we know that to be the case because in Joshua 1, we see the phrase, don't be afraid or be courageous over and over and over again. And one of the first things that God tells Joshua, verse 5, Joshua 1 verse 5, God says, no one, Joshua, will be able to stand against you as long as you live. For I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. So notice, as Joshua is filled with fear and anxiety, the first thing that God does is he gives him a promise. He promises him, nobody's going to be able to stand up against you. And just like how you saw I was with Moses, I'm going to be with you. That's a promise that I'm giving you. And so it's interesting, yes, Joshua and the people would have to go into the land, and yes, they would have to fight for the land, but there was a sense in which the victory had already been won. There was a sense in which the the land already belonged to them. God was basically saying, it's already yours, you just have to make the step. You just have to go in, but it already belongs to you. And I want you to hear that good news, brothers and sisters. Whatever obstacle you're facing... Whatever struggle you're having in your life, the victory has already been won. The victory belongs to you. Uh, God has given you the victory. But what he wants you to do is he wants you to experience that pathway to victory. That's the promise that he gives to us. And so there's this sense in which he's telling Joshua, I know you're afraid. I know you're scared. But lean into my promises. 
And see, faith is standing in the promises of God. And this is so critical because faith is oftentimes trusting in God's word over your own thoughts. When your thoughts say that you'll never do this, you'll never do that, when your thoughts tell you you're a loser or you should be ashamed, when your thoughts fill you with guilt, you need to trust God's word that you are deeply and divinely loved. When your thoughts say that you're never going to overcome something, you need to trust God's word that he's with you and he's for you. When your thoughts start to say that there's no way that you can overcome this or that, you need to trust God's word that all things are possible through Christ. And so sometimes faith is leaning into the promises of God and trusting God's words, even over our own thoughts to say that I'm leaning into your promises, that you're with me, that you're for me, that you are going to help me through this. And then that leads us to the second part, to obey God's commands. And this is one we don't think about often. How does obedience have anything to do with anxiety or fear? Well, watch this, verses six through eight. Again, God's speaking to Joshua. He says, be strong and courageous, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you'll be successful in everything you do. Study this book of the instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so that you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then you will prosper and succeed in all that you do. And it's interesting, if you read the, the rest of the book of Joshua, this is exactly what comes to fruition. Every time the Israelites are obedient to God, they succeed. Every time they don't, they fail miserably. Anytime they're obedient, all they have to do is play some trumpets and yell really loudly and the walls of Jericho come crumbling down. But when they're disobedient, even their strongest men can't take the smallest city. And so what we see over and over again is that the success of the Israelites did not hinge on their military power or their military strategy. It always hinged on their own faithfulness to God's word that it was this obedience that allowed them to experience this kind of success. And this idea of obedience is kind of lost even in our own Christian culture. When it comes to God's word, the Bible, even in the church, like we love to talk about it. We love to get in groups and discuss it. We love to debate it. We love to memorize it. But oftentimes we fall short of actually doing it. And we miss out on the blessings of God's word because we fall short. And I've used this illustration before, but uh, it would be like, me telling my daughter, Kinsey, who's eight years old, you know, Kinsey, go, go clean your room, pick up your toys for me. And so she goes to her room and then two hours later, she comes back and she said, dad, I thought about what you told me. And I really thought about it. And I memorized your instructions. And I even translated your instructions in the original Greek language. And my friends are going to come over later and we're going to have a small group and we're going to discuss what you really meant by those instructions. And then we're going to talk about what it would look like if we actually carried out your instructions. Like that would be absolutely ridiculous. I'd say, Kenzie, no, no, I just, I just actually want you to do it. Like, I just want you to actually clean the room. I don't want you to just talk about it, memorize it. But so often as Christians, we do that. You know, we, we discuss it, we debate it, we memorize it. But the true joy comes when we actually live it. You know, Jesus talks about this in Matthew 7. He says, if you listen to my teachings and you put them into practice, it will give you this sure foundation for everything else. And so here's why obedience is critical when it comes to fear and anxiety. 
There is a peace, and if you've ever had this, you, you, you know what I'm talking about. There's a peace that comes when you are living in the center of God's will. There's a peace and assurance that comes when you are living into what he's called you to do. There's a peace that comes when you are being faithful, when you are loving your neighbor, when you are serving, when you are generous, when you are kind. There's a peace that comes from that kind of life. And again, this isn't a matter of God's love. God loves you when you are faithful and when you're unfaithful. God loves you when you're obedient and when you fall flat on your face. But it is a question of foundation, assurance, peace, intimacy with him, that God wants to take you to this deeper place of friendship with him. And as he takes you to that place, as that obedience allows you into that place, it gives you this foundation for everything else in life. And that leads us here to number three. So we trust God's promises, obey God's commands. Number three, we depend on God's presence. Joshua 1 verse 9, God says, this is my command, be strong, be courageous, do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So notice that over and over again, God tells Joshua, don't be afraid, have courage, don't let this anxiety consume you. Why? Because I'm with you. I'm with you wherever you go. I'm with you whatever you face. And so this is the shift in the story because from the world's perspective, Joshua had every right to be fearful and anxious. From the world's perspective, if you're just looking at his life and his circumstances, who he's taking over for, what he's about to face, Joshua had every reason to be afraid if he was by himself. And for many of you in this room, from the world's perspective, you have every reason to be filled with fear and anxiety based on the things that you've been through, based on the challenges that you might be facing, based on what's going on in this world, the turmoil, the political ugliness. Based on the world's perspective, we have every reason to be full of fear and anxiety. But we're not on our own. And that's the game changer. And it's not that our lives become perfect. It's not that our challenges go away. It's just that our faith, it's just that God's presence shifts our perspective. It changes the way we think. What Joshua was reminding, what God was reminding Joshua and what he's reminding us is that I'm, I'm with you. And when I'm with you, it's that Romans 8. When I'm with you, nothing can stand against you. When I'm with you, all things are possible. When I'm with you, you are more than conquerors. That's good news, amen. More than conquerors. So this faith, this presence redefines the way we look at the world. You know, one of my favorite Old Testament stories is the story about the prophet Elisha. And there's a story where the king of Aram is trying to kill the king of Israel. And so he sets up all these attacks on the king of Israel. But every time he's about to attack, uh, God gives the tip to the prophet Elisha. And Elisha gives that warning to the king of Israel so that he can escape. And so this happens several times. And so the king of Aram starts to get frustrated by this. And he brings in all his advisors and counselors, and he says, how does the king of Israel know that we're coming every single time? And one of the advisors mentions to him, it's the prophet Elisha. This prophet knows when you're about to attack, and he keeps warning the king of Israel. And so the king of Aram gets really mad, so he decides to set up a surprise attack on Elisha in the city that he's staying in as if Elisha wouldn't know that it was coming. Like that's been the whole point of the story, but the king of Aram is not the sharpest tool in the shed. So he sets up this surprise attack on Elisha in his city. And as he's doing this, 
uh, one of Elisha's servants sees this attack coming. He sees these people surrounding the city and he runs to Elisha. And he says, Elisha, the king of Aram is here and he has all these soldiers. They're about to attack. What are we going to do? And Elisha has this amazing statement. He says, don't be afraid for those who are with us are greater than those who are with them. And I can imagine Elisha's servant is kind of thinking in his head, like, Elisha, you're a great prophet, but you're bad at math, two, a thousand. Like, I don't understand what you're saying. And so Elisha prays. He prays, God, open the eyes of my servant. And as he prays that, the servant looks up, and all of a sudden he sees angels and chariots of fire and horses surrounding the city that Elisha's staying in. And needless to say, the story doesn't end super well for King Aram. But that's what this night's all about. Is that as we think about our faith, as we think about the scriptures, part of our hope is, is that God would bring healing. And part of that healing is that God would open our eyes. That as we look at our life, it doesn't mean all the challenges disappear. It doesn't mean all our suffering goes away. It just means that we see more now. And we see that he who is with us is greater than he who is in the world. It's just that we set our eyes a little bit higher than we used to. That instead of focusing on our circumstances and challenges, we focus on the presence of God who's with us and for us. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your scriptures. We thank you for your promises. And Lord, I just pray that as we continue tonight, as we continue in worship, Lord, I just pray that people in this room might experience your grace, your presence in a powerful way. Lord, I pray for miracles to happen. Lord, I pray for people to experience healing and deliverance and strength and encouragement and hope. Lord, we thank you for your love that is without conditions. Lord, we thank you for your power that is without limits. Lord, we thank you that your grace is sufficient for every need we have. Lord, we love you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, that's it for today. Again, thank you for joining us. We hope that it was a great encouragement for you in your life. And uh, please make sure to check out our upcoming podcast. We'll have another one in a couple of weeks. And uh, if you loved it, uh, please make sure you take a moment to uh, rate us on uh, Apple. We would greatly appreciate that. God bless you.